Listen, I want to kick this off. We've been in a vision series. This is called the, this is the uh, third week in the vision series. And we've just been casting vision for our church. What, it's, what is it going to take for us to um, take the next step? What is it going to take for us to not just be a church that is here for three years, but a church that lasts really forever? What is it going to take for us to not just be another church that is in this city, but a church that ultimately makes an impact on this city? And listen, I want to say this right off the bat. You're giving your prayers and your example have a greater effect on this city than you will ever know. And, and let, me, let me tell you why. Because right now, today, there are kids in Kenya that are eating meals, another meal today, because of this church. Um, there were people today, uh, this past week that we served, we, we served hundreds of meals, I would say if not thousands of meals this week to evacuees, to people that desperately need it. We were able to pray with people, cry with people, serve people who were broken. We even heard a story this week of the first day that we showed up to Motel 6 to serve food. There was an elderly couple there. They had been there since Thursday. We showed up on Monday and Monday was the first meal that they had eaten since they'd been here. Um, we heard stories like that all week, and, and you know what? I am so proud to say that I'm a part of this church because I saw people this week not just care about a building, not just care about sitting in a place on Sunday, but these were people, let's just be honest, they were people, um, they were Jesus in the flesh to people that were broken and hurting. Um, I, they say this all the time, but the, mo- the first impression that a lot of people get of Jesus is not necessarily the church that they walk into, but it's the Christians. And, and, and the truth is, when people are running into these volunteers who were serving meals this week, you know what they're saying? Man, maybe Jesus is for me. <laughs> maybe Jesus does understand the broken state that I'm at in my life right now. I've lost absolutely everything, but I've discovered a little bit of hope this morning or today or this past week because people just went out of their way. I heard another story of a mom that I talked to at a day's in, and uh, she had told me that she, her, her, her home had flooded in Texas, and they had people rescuing her, and they lost everything in the house, and while she was in a canoe, listen to this woman, she was in a canoe, and she went in labor. Um, she went into labor. Thank the Lord she didn't have the baby in the canoe. I'm sure every rescuer was like, woman, you just need to hold on right now, because I don't want to be dealing with that. Um, but she, she gave birth not too um, shortly later. But I mean, people just went through just tragic situations. Um, but the truth is, I can honestly say that this church rose up to the occasion. We led the charge to serve this city. And the beauty of it was um, there were so many other churches that came alongside of us, that served alongside of us. There was a community effort that came together. The truth is we were salt, we were light to this city. Um, and it was amazing. Come on, give all of our volunteers just a huge hand for everything that they were able to do. But you see, the truth is, this is why the church is so important. Because what we do here, listen to this, what we do here matters. Um, What we do here changes eternity for some people. Um, The truth is, you never know what you just simply serving a meal to somebody for the first time. You never know the eternal impact that it may have on their soul. People may go home searching and looking for Jesus the first time just because they got handed a hot meal and they ran into a kind and nice volunteer. So this is why... At this church, we're going to strive to be, for the rest of the life of this church, to strive to be an everyone church. 
So, so here's what I mean by this, is that regardless if you're red, yellow, black, white, blue, hair, tattoos, rich, poor, it doesn't really matter. This church is for you. This church is for you. It doesn't matter what you come from, what kind of background you come from. I hear it all the time. I can't walk into the church because I've, I've done this in my life. I've, I've been guilty of this. I have this. They're going to judge me. What is the common question that I hear um, people say all the time? Well, I can't go to church because I don't know what clothes to wear, right? Um, well, if you know me, we don't care. I wear skinny jeans preaching on stage, so it doesn't really matter, right? At the end of the day, this church is not about what you dress like. It's not about what you've got on your body or what, you've don't, or what you don't have on your body. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what kind of past you come from, what kind of creed you recite, or whatever things that you have been through in your life. At the end of the day, we're going to strive to be every single day a church that is for this city. And we want you to know, if you're new here, welcome home. Because at the end of the day, no matter what you've walked through in life, church is supposed to be a place that you can walk into and you can safely struggle, not, not you know, confess some of your stuff and then all of a sudden people begin to separate from you because they begin to judge you and look at you and say, you know, you're hopeless. At the end of the day, we're supposed to come in, we're supposed to love people, we're supposed to point people to Jesus. We want to show you what a family is really like. And it was so beautiful to see that this week. You got to see that. You know, one of the, one of the questions I get all the time is, uh, when are we going to get a building? And um, the truth is, if you, if you understand this, the church is not about a building. Um, it doesn't really matter if, you, if, if you, you have a building or not. At the end of the day, if you, if you read the New Testament closely, you're going to understand that you as the individual, you are the church. Um, it's not just something that we do on Sunday, but ultimately it's something that we do every single day out of the week. Um, over the past three years... Um, next week, come on, let's celebrate for this. Next week, we'll celebrate three years at OSC Crowley. And in and, and three years, God has done some phenomenal things. Phenomenal things. In three years, I have seen ordinary people do extraordinary things. In three years, I've seen men and women that you thought that would never serve Jesus completely submit and surrender their lives to Jesus. Um, last year, I saw men wade into chest-deep water and rescue elderly people on a kayak and a canoe. <laughs> it was crazy in the flood. Men and women that have just gone completely out of their way to serve other people. I have seen the men and women of this church sacrifice hundreds of hours to prepare meals, to organize small armies so that we could continue to feed the city, so that we could serve this city At the end of the day, I have seen the men and women in this church, although you may feel like you're just an average Joe, you have made an incredible impact on the kingdom of God. And the truth is this. At the end of the day, this is what the church is about. This is what we do. The coolest thing in the world, I have seen some people form lifelong friendships who would probably never be friends in reality. (laughs) I mean, you've got, it's just weird. Like some of my best friends here love football and sports and all that kind of stuff. And I'm over here just loving art and music stuff and reading books. I would never be friends with half of these people. That's just the truth. It's, it's just crazy how God kind of wires you and connects you throughout life. You end up finding lifelong friendships with people who are just completely different than you. And they become your family. So why does all this matter? Why, why, why does what we do on a weekly basis or on a daily basis, why does it matter? It matters because you are Jesus with flesh on to the people in this city. At the end of the day, listen to what, listen to what um, 
This is, this is what Gandhi said. He says, I like your Christ, but I do not like your Christians. Your Christians are so unlike your Christ. What, what does that mean? I love your Jesus. I love what he stands for. I love his values. I love the idea of this man that we call Jesus. I just don't like your Christians because the truth is sometimes Christians are the meanest people that you meet. Anybody know what I'm talking about? They're like the most judgmental, the most mean people. You're like, who is that? Oh, she goes to the church down the street and she's like a leader. Oh, really? Great. I'm never going to that church. And we laugh though because it's true. But tragically, many of us have turned away from the faith, not because we have a problem with Jesus. It's just simply because we have a problem with Christians. And this is why, listen to me, this is why we will continue to be a church that serves this city, loves this city, and lays down our life for this city. Because at the end of the day, as long as I'm the pastor here, we're going to be an everyone church. We're going to be people that actually care about the people that are hurting and broken in this city. You know, you know what I love about this, this church right here? It's a collection of people from all different backgrounds of life. We've got people here that got money. We've got people in here that have no money. We've got people that come from different backgrounds of life. Maybe you grew up in church, and for some of you, you're sitting in here, and this is the first church you've ever been a part of. And it doesn't matter. It's just a collection of people. I posted this out on Facebook, but I've been thinking about this over the past few weeks, and especially um, within the past week as we've been serving the evacuees that have been here. But I wrote this down. It simply says this. We refuse to be an insider's club that focuses on religion. Um, We are a hospital that nurses the broken regardless of their creed, race, past, or preferences. That's what the church is. At the end of the day, that's who we are. Because at the end of the day, we want to look as much like Jesus as we can. And the thing that I love about Jesus, he never cared what anybody else said about him. He, he, he walked into a tavern, which is a modern-day version of a bar. He walked in there, and he was with people there. Then the next day, he's eating dinner with prostitutes. Imagine if you saw your pastor at City Bar sitting down. What would you do? I was there last night. I'm just kidding. Um, but what would you do? What, what would be your mindset for a moment? That was Jesus. People would look at him and go, what what is this guy doing? At the end of the day, what did Jesus repeat over and over and over again? He said, it's not the ones that are healed that need a doctor. It's the sick and it's the broken. And that's what I love about this church. Throughout the life of this church, over the past three years, we have strived with everything that we have to no matter what walk of life that you're in, to say, man, we can cry with this single mother We can be there for the person that, man, maybe they've mismanaged some things in their life and they have broken relationships. Wherever you're at in your walk with life, we just want to point you to Jesus. Because at the end of the day, listen to what the scripture says in Matthew 5, 13 through 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. It says, you are the light of the world, a city set on a hill that cannot be hidden. It's talking about us, the church. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So if we're to be the light that this passage is actually talking about, then we must ferociously go into the dark areas that nobody wants to go into. Sometimes we're going to have to risk our reputation. 
Sometimes we're going to have to risk things, and they may say, why are you doing this? And at the end of the day, we're saying, listen, we're just going to the darkest corners of this city, and that's what we want to do because that's who we are, because that's what Jesus would do. But I want to leave you with a question, and I'm going to kind of center the rest of this sermon around this simple question. What would this city do? How would it feel if tomorrow we packed up and left and OSC Crowley never existed? See, that's the one question that continues to drive me, continues to push me, continues to get me to pray for more people, continues to say, God, we have so much work to do. Because at the end of the day, what would the city do if OSC Crowley just ceased to exist? Would it hurt? Would it feel a loss? At the end of the day, within the past three years, I think it would. I think it would. But the truth is, I think that what I want to do today is I want you to get to a place where you are actively a part of that vision. I said this last week where we're not just coming in and we're hand clapping the other people that are living on mission. God wants you to do it as well. It's not where we're just, we're we're hand clapping the people that are leading the charge and out there serving and out there doing things and out there serving throughout the week. Like God wants you to be actively engaged and to be a part of this church. So let's talk about what we're up against for just a moment. Let me give you some stats globally. So this is globally as a whole. There is 1.5 billion people, billion, okay? Billion people that live less on a dollar a day. Um, that's like, you can't even, like in now, today's culture, you can't even buy a cheeseburger with that anymore, right? Um, so there's 1.5 billion people that live on less than a dollar a day. There's 1 billion people that do not have access to clean drinking water all over the world. There's six million human beings. This, this fact is just mind-blowing. Six million human beings that die a year from malnutrition before the age of five from preventable diseases. So this would just be like something that you could have gone to the doctor and got a vaccine for, and, you, and it would have been over. It would have solved it. There's 800 million people in our world, and this is, these stats are actually as of 2016, so I'm sure that they grow every single year, but 800 million people go to bed hungry every single day. Now, I read the stats globally, and it doesn't really hit home, so let's do this. Let's talk about some stats of this city right here. Because you think about it, you hear 1.5 billion, and you're like, oh, those are kids in Africa, right? Oh, those are people in India. Those are people all away across the world. The truth is, they're right here in your backyard. In this population, um, the census says there's about 14,000 people in Crowley. There's about 67,000 people in Acadia Parish. Now listen to this. 70%, get this number, 70% of the people in Crowley, Louisiana, will grow up without a father grow up without a male figure in their life. I, I was talking to the principal at South Crowley Elementary last week. Oh, by the way, we were able to give them a few thousand dollars to buy a bunch of computers. So how awesome is that? That's incredible. Um, so I'm talking to her and, and she said, um, she said, I've got about 300 kids at this school. Um, there's about 10 of them that have fathers in their home. 10. Um, so, she, so she asked me, she said, I said, what, do you, what else do you need? We, we, gave her some, we gave her some money to help her teachers buy different computers and stuff like that. And I just told her, I said, if you buy computers, or you, you, you buy whatever else you need for the school. I don't really care. Um, but I said, what else do you need? And she said, here's what I need. I need a few men that are willing to come here every single week, maybe once a week, and just mentor some students. 
That's all I need. She said, I need about five men. She said, I don't have a single male on staff. She actually just hired her first male teacher this year. And she's like, I don't know how long he's going to last. Um, but she just hired her first male teacher. So listen to this. Over 300 students, it's all females there. All females. There's no male authority. There's no male figure. And she said, what's amazing is every single time we have a police officer or a male figure come on to, to the campus and they start talking with kids, she said, boom, kids are immediately attentive. And it's not because men are better than women. It's just because kids need a father. They need a male figure that can look them in the eyes and say, listen, hey, I believe in you. I know, I know you've got better for your life, and let me show you how to do that. I'm going to lead by example. So 70% of the kids in this city will grow up without fathers. I'd say about 95% of the students at South Crowley don't have a father in their home. I don't know what the statistics are at the other school, but I'm sure they're pretty great. 33% of families in Crowley alone live below the poverty line. So that means this, um, that is a husband and a wife with three kids, five people in the home making under $22,000 a year. Um, so that's roughly, I don't know, about $250, $300 a week, maybe, um, trying to, to, to raise kids, trying to support them, trying to pay a mortgage or a rent or whatever it may be. And here's the thing that I find interesting, and the reason that I share all these things with you I find it interesting because Jesus, listen to this, the one that we serve, okay, the one that we dedicate our lives to, the one that Christianity is founded after, Jesus, the Savior, he talks about the poor and the widows and the oppressed and the weak more than heaven and hell. He talks about it more than anything else in the New Testament. He talks about it more than health. He talks about it more than prosperity. He talks about it more than wealth. So it must mean something to Jesus, and we may hear these stats, and you say to yourself, man, the church really needs to do something. And the, and, and the answer is, you're absolutely right. But first, as individuals, we need to ask ourselves the question, how do I play a part of that? How, how do I actively engage into the mission of this church, which is reaching people, building lives? And not only that, how do I actively engage in just being a Christian, a Christ follower? Um, so I want to ask us four questions this morning. Number one, are we just a church in the city? Are we just a church that's in the city? If we were, then our heart would simply be just to get a bunch of people in these doors to hear the gospel and just focus on growing the people in this room. This is a good goal, but simply not enough. Um, churches like this are geographically in the city, but they're not engaged in the city. Maybe they have a sign, maybe they have a landmark, maybe they have whatever it is. They got a Facebook page, whatever it is, but our prayer is not to just be a name in this city. That we're not just another geographical location. We're not just a group of people that meet at the Rice Theater at 10 a.m. But at the end of the day, we're a church that is actively engaged in this city. So are we just a church in the city? Number two. Are we a church against the city? How many of you have ever been a part of an organization or a church or a move of God and they're known more for what they're against than what they're for? <laughs> they're known more for what they're against than what they're for. Well, I don't like this. I don't like that. Not this. Not that. At the end of the day, we want to be a church where we're known more for what we're for rather than what we're against. See, if you're a church that is against the city, this is a church that prefers a us versus them mentality. Can I tell you this? Um, we're not against any church in this city. Like, we worked with churches this week. There's not, we're, and I've heard this conversation, so just let me, let, me, let me put out the fire for a moment, okay? We're not better than anybody in this city. 
Um, the truth is there's a ton of good churches in this city and there's a ton of good pastors in this city who I know personally. Um, and, And the truth is at the end of the day, you know what, we're all on one team and we're all for it like, capital C, the church, not just OSC Crowley. Listen, if you, if you call this home and this is where God feeds you and God ministers to you here, then man, get planted here and let this be your church and show, show some pride for your church. I get that. I understand that. But at the end of the day, our heart is to see people in this city come to know Jesus. And if it's here or at another place, it's a win. <laughs> it's a win. We're not against anybody. So we're not going to be known for a church that is us versus them. This battle and, oh man, you guys are growing quickly. You must be stealing people from other churches and all that kind of stuff. We're not like that. At the end of the day, we're for the capital C, the church. We're on team Jesus and we just want to see people come to know Jesus, right? Right. Or number three, are we a church of the city? Meaning this, this is a church who wholeheartedly embraces the culture of the city and they kind of lose their flavor, they lose their salt, they lose their light, they look more like the world than they look like Christ. Um, My hope, my prayer for this church is that we be number four. Are we a church that is for the city? This is a church that is committed to making disciples and actively engaging in community with other believers and people that do not know Jesus. Let me debunk a certain thing that I've heard over the past years that we've been here. We talk about all these things, and I've heard people tell me before, hey, we just need a missions department. We'll send people across the world. We'll gather. We'll, we'll, we'll create a missions team, and we'll do city outreaches together. Um, the truth is, um, I'm not really for a missions department, because if we could just get every single person in this church living on mission, we don't need a missions department. <laughs> At the end of the day, as a Christ follower, as a Christian, we're called to live on mission. Jesus says in the Great Commission, he says what? Go therefore into all the world and make disciples. If you're part of the missions department. (laughs) He doesn't say that. He just says to everybody. He charges every single person that is a part of this church to live on mission. But the truth is, it's much easier just to rely on the people of the church to serve. Oh, well, so-and-so will pick up the slack. So-and-so will serve. And I can just be a part of that church and say that I'm proud of my church and I love this church. But at the end of the day, Jesus is saying, no, I want you to be a part of this. Because the truth is, before we can ever go across the pond, you know, to Africa, to Kenya, wherever it is, to tell people about Jesus, we got to realize that there's thousands of people in our backyard that are hurting. There's thousands of people, your neighbor, that needs to know the gospel. See, the mission here at OSC is reaching people and building lives. And the truth is, the reason that we can be an everyone church, the reason we can love everyone, regardless of the past that they come from, is because Jesus first loved us. Regardless of who we were, what we've done, where we've come from, Jesus didn't put a condition on it. He just loved us. For many of us, if if you were like me, Jesus poured out his grace and his mercy and love at the lowest point of my life when when I did not deserve it, when I felt like I was unworthy of it. How many times, just show of hands in here, you felt just, I don't feel worthy to receive God's love based off of what I've done? You know what the truth is? There's not a single person in this room that is technically ever worthy of the love of God, but because of his grace and mercy, he gives it to us anyway. He gives it to us anyway. So I want to ask you a question. Why is it so easy to lose sight of the mission? Why is it so easy to lose sight of the mission?
description of just simply being a Christian. Um, Why is it so easy to lose sight of it? There's a few things, a few ideas, a few theologies that have creeped within the church that have derailed us, that have gotten us off the boat, that have kind of moved us away from doing the mission that God has called us to do. The first one is simply this. It's called the prosperity theology. Prosperity theology, meaning this, your relationship with Jesus has become all about what he can do for you. It's become all about what Jesus can do for you. Meaning that, man, Jesus has come. He's come to give you wealth. He's come to give you health. Jesus is nothing more than a genie in the sky that will grant your every wish as long as you're a good and noble person. For many of us, that's how we view God. Like, God, like, I've been good. God, I've been, I've been, I've been making A's. <laughs> I've been having good behavior. I haven't sinned this week. I haven't blown it. I haven't cursed my wife out this week. I haven't lost it on my boss. I've been a good person. God, I expect something back, right? It's become this prosperity theology. People assume that God's mission is about us, that everything exists for us, that God will save me, God will rescue me. And the truth is, God is for you. God does love you. God does care and provide for you, but there is a motivation that is well beyond that. And let me explain that. In Psalms 23, verse 1 through 3, it says this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's a beautiful line, isn't it? We all know this passage. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we go, yes. Man, I'm going to serve Jesus. He's my shepherd. I'm not going to lack anything. And then we continue reading. He lies me down in green pastures, or he makes me lie down in green pastures. He, li- he leads me beside still water. So, so what are we, we're reading this verse, and we're like, man, just keep going, God. This is awesome. You're my shepherd. I'm going to just re- relax with you in green pastures. You're going to lead me along still waters. Everything in life is going great. But then there's a catcher in verse 3. He leads me in paths of righteousness for what? His namesake. So what does this mean? See, if you read the first two, two, two verses, it looks like we're the point of the text, doesn't it? It looks like, man, God's there to shepherd you. But then you read verse 3, and it says, but he's doing everything that he's doing for his glory so that his name could be lifted high above every other name. Meaning this, every single thing that we did this week was not to glorify this church. Every single thing that we did this week was to make Jesus famous. It was so that Jesus' name could be lifted higher than any other name and so that people could say, why are you doing what you're doing? We do this because we love Jesus. We serve because he has radically transformed my life. When I was at the lowest place of my life and I felt like I had no hope and I had nowhere to turn, like God came and rescued me. See, in the, in the text, I want to lovingly tell you that when you read verse 1 and then you get to 3, you're going to understand that you're not the point of this text. <laughs> At the end of the day, you understand that Jesus is the point of this text. You'll even read and you'll understand that you're not even second place of the text. See, that if you read it in order, it's ultimately this. It's God first, then others, then you. You're the bronze medal. <laughs> so, but let me tell you why this is the best news in the universe. Because the truth is, you hear it and you're like, I don't like that. I don't like being third. 
um, I like to win. Anybody like to win? Like, you just love to win. Um, I play games with my, my kids all the time, and we'll play, like, you know, Jenga or something. We were playing that the other night, or we're playing just basketball, or what? I'm lying. We never play basketball, but... Um, <laughs> I've probably never played basketball with my children, just being honest. Um, or football. <laughs> Let me show you how to use this marker, son. Uh, anyway, I lost where I was going with this. Um, so why do we do all this? We look at it, and maybe play a game. Maybe you like to compete. Maybe you like to win. And I'm not too big into sports, but I'll tell you one thing. I'm very competitive, and I love to win. I will love, my, my son can be winning. I will trip him. I will trip him. I will cheat. I will do, I will, because I'm, at the end of the day, I'm going to win. Um, I hate losing. Like, second place, it, that's the first loser, right? Um, I do not like losing. So when you read a passage like this, you're like, I'm third place? I'm not first? Let me tell you why this is the best news, though. It's the best news because every single time God is after making his name famous, your joy follows. Every single time. When you go out there and serve, what do you get? You get nothing but joy. There's no reward. There's no medal. There's no, you walk away with the satisfaction of knowing that you were doing what God called you to do. You walk away with the satisfaction of going, oh my God, why do I feel full? Why do I feel whole? Why does this make me just feel right? It feels good because you're in God's will. It feels good because every time you accomplish God's purpose and every time you accomplish God's will, your prize is joy. It's why serving is so important. It's why sacrificing, laying down your time and your efforts is so important because every single time you do this, joy is what follows. But you see, prosperity theology constantly gets in the way. God's for you. It's all about you. God's there to just make you healthy, wealthy, happy. And if you just follow these rules, everything will be fine. The second thing that kind of gets in the way is number two. Church has become about you. So let me me just, let's talk about preferences for a moment. Um, The worship isn't your style, so you don't enter in. I don't like the song. It's too loud. I don't, don't, what is this? I don't know what this is. (laughs) Are people asking questions? I have no idea what's going on in this church. The chairs aren't comfortable enough. That's not the case here. (laughs) Um, We were like, man, the drive here was just too long. Or, man, uh, gosh, they, man, their kids meet in a separate department. That's aggravating. I got to walk. Some of you need to walk, just being honest. (laughs) Um, I just lost like three people. <laughs> but for let's just be honest. I mean, just I'm not trying to be harsh. I'm just I just want to lovingly speak the truth to you this morning. If church is all about your preferences, it's going to be a dead church. If it caters to everything that you want, it's never going to grow. Because here's the thing. A good church is a church that constantly calls you out of your comfort zone. Every single time that you walk in, you're like, ooh, I don't, I don't, that doesn't feel comfortable. But for some reason, it feels right. A few years ago, I took a bunch of students to Waco, Texas. 
And uh, it was, this was probably, I don't know, seven, eight years ago. And um, we went through this, they called it a poverty simulation. Okay, so I took all these youth, these, you know, spoiled kids, kids that had everything made for them, and they had no idea what's going on. I bas- they basically make you lie to your kids. Okay, they're like, listen, you pack a bag, we're going to show up to Waco, it's going to be like a camp, and then you show up to this camp and they say, give me all your food, all your clothes, everything, we're sleeping outside tonight. And kids are like, what? Oh, by the way, no technology, nothing, we're going to sleep outside tonight, we're going to learn what it's like to be homeless on the streets. And kids are like, this is not what I signed up for. And then, so we do this, we do this for two days, walking around the streets of Waco, we're sleeping outside on these cardboard mats, all this kind of stuff. And I remember kids just like, this is, retar- this is ridiculous. I can't believe this. this is, I, why are we doing this? And, and then about in the second day or so, it starts kind of clicking. They start realizing that, man, people actually live this way. And then Sunday morning rolled around on the third day. And it was one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen. They called it Church Under the Bridge. And it was literally a church that met under a bridge. And so all these students, we, we, we come up to this place, this church, there's no stage, there's no like cool screen, there's no like amazing band, there's nothing, and there's about 1,500 people that show up. They sit on the floor, they serve food to all the homeless people that come, and, and the coolest thing that I saw, you've got homeless people, you've got doctors, you've got just all walks of life at this church under the bridge. And the one thing that struck me about this place is nobody cared that they were comfortable. It wasn't a preference. It wasn't like, well, I didn't like the music, or man, the car's passing by, or too loud, or this, this metal chair is uncomfortable. There's like 1,500 people. They probably only had like 300 chairs, so most of the people were standing up or sitting on the ground. See, at the end of the day, the church is not a building. It's not a, it's not a place. It's not like something that you construct. At the end of the day, it's a group of people that say, let's change the world. Let's, let's change the city. What, what would happen if we gathered together as people and we were the church? that came together, we shared a common mission, a common vision to see this city flipped upside down on its heels so that people that are far from Christ could come to know Jesus regardless of what kind of background they're walking through in their life. See, church cannot become about us and it cannot become about our preferences. It cannot become about a music. It cannot become about, well, I don't like that or I don't like what they wear that or I don't like this. It cannot become about that. And we've let it for so many years become about preferences that has gotten us away from the mission that God has actually called us to do. Number three, I touched on this a little bit last week, but number three, we we major on the minors and we minor on the majors as a church. So we like to stand up for big causes, right? So we like to get in a crowd and maybe somebody who is unsaved, they're lost, Maybe they're speaking words that you would never speak, and so all of a sudden you feel this righteous, holy anger that comes up, and you begin to call them out in front of everybody else. So that person immediately, because you represent the name of Jesus, what do they do? They feel condemned. They're like, man, if that's what Jesus is all about, then I want nothing to do with it. So we feel like we have this boldness to take this stand for somebody that is maybe um, lost. I don't know if you knew this, but lost people do lost things. (laughs) They're not saved. 
They don't carry your values. They don't carry your vision. They don't, they don't care what you feel or believe because they're lost. They don't know Jesus. And as Christians, sometimes we see this boldness rise up for all the wrong reasons. See, I think sometimes it's there done with a, a good heart and you're not meaning to offend anybody or damage anybody's relationship. But at the end of the day, um, the truth is, I think we've got to flip that boldness around. It's not us just standing up for people talking correctly. It's standing up for, there's a mom that lives right next door to me that doesn't know how she's going to eat. <laughs> and there's people that have come all the way from Texas that have no money and they don't know what they're going to do. That is pure Christianity. At the end of the day, it's not just standing up for a certain creed or value. And it is. I'm not saying that it isn't. But at the end of the day, sometimes we're not careful as Christians. We major on the minors, the things that don't really matter. We've got to learn to flip that around. And man, we care about our brother. We care about our neighbor. We care about our family member. You know one of the, great, the greatest things that you can do is look down the lines of your family and say, man, who are people that don't know Jesus and what can I do to change that? What, what can I do? You know what? All throughout the New Testament, you're going to see Jesus do something that is so cool. Every time he performs a miracle, every single time, there was never a formula to it. There was times where he just said, okay, um, I'm going to spit in some mud and rub it on his eyes, and the blind will see. He never did that again. <laughs> it was, it was always, so when he would heal somebody, what do we always tell them afterwards? Go back home and tell everyone what I've done. Because every time God does something in your life, listen to this, it's not just for you, it's for your family. It's for your neighbor, it's for your brother, it's for your sister. There's probably people that sit in here today who long time ago were praying for you, who probably just bought into the thought of there's no way, if this person comes to know Jesus, it will be a miracle. And today you sit here. And so there's probably other people in your family who, who you'd probably think, man, there's no way they'd ever come to Jesus. I want to ask you a question. What are you doing? What are you doing to change that? At the end of the day, we have the greatest news in the world, man, that Jesus saved us that he rescued us, and we're supposed to bring that to other people. See, if you serve on the dream team here, um, and you're not reaching the lost, you're probably being robbed. So here's what I mean by that. You're probably serving out of frustration and obligation rather than a joy. Because if you're not living out the mission and the vision that God has called us to, to reach lost people, serving becomes an obligation. It just becomes a pressure. It just becomes something that you have to do because you don't want to look bad around the other people. The truth is, we should be serving not out of obligation, not out of frustration, not because it's something that we have to do, but at the end of the day, it's something that we want to do because God has relentlessly served us. See, unfortunately, though, the mission never happens unless we're willing to get outside of these walls, unless we're willing to say, you know what, I'm willing to get uncomfortable for a season, for a while. That at the end of the day, that this life is not just my own, that God has given me some good news. I want to conclude with this. There's a church in Philippi that did something amazing. It's in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, and it says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. So let me just set up what's happening real quick. So God is growing these churches in Macedonia. 
okay? He's, he's doing all these things, and people are coming to know Jesus, and there is this small little church in this small community that doesn't have much. They don't have a whole lot to give, but it says they're so eager to take part in the mission of God. They're saying, we will sacrifice whatever we need to sacrifice to be a part of what God is doing. Listen to what it says. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, then by the will of God to us. So so let me sum it up. Life was difficult and hard for this little church in Philippi. But verse 2 says they were in severe affliction and extreme poverty, and they're still begging to be a part of God's mission. So they don't have a whole lot to give, but they're saying, listen, if we could just, if we could just grab a hold of what God is doing, we know that we'll get joy. We know that God's going to bless us. We know that we'll be able to be a part of something. That's my challenge to us this morning. Listen, we, we, we may only be three years in, but it does not mean that we can't make a significant impact here in the city. You may look at your own, you know, walk. You may look at your own finances. You may look at your own life. You go, man, what, what can I give? You may look at your finances and say, I don't have a whole lot to give. But the thing that I love about this church is, says, man, they just gave. They gave out of the great need. Not only did they give their money, they said, man, my life may not be perfect, may not be exactly where I need it to be, but I know one thing. If I can get a hold of the mission that God is doing, that God will begin to radically transform my life. If I can attach to that. See, in extreme poverty, they were still overflowing with joy because they were a church that knew their mission. See, our mission here, once again, is reaching people and building lives. And that's what we're going to continue to do day in and day out. Week in, week out, year after year, we're going to continue to reach people. We're going to continue to build lives because the need will never go away. It's never going to go away. So I want to leave you the question, what would it look like if people in this room begin to unite as a church to give of themselves to the people of this city? What if what we did this past week never ended? Maybe it's not as, you know, big and organized and all that kind of stuff, but what would it look like if you just did that on a personal level every single week? That every single week that you're looking for somebody who's in distress, that you're looking for somebody in need and you're saying, God, what can I do? Because remember what I said earlier, Psalms 23, Every single time that you walk in the will of God and you do what God is asking you to do and his name is lifted up and he's made much of, you know what your reward is? Joy. And what are we all searching for in this life? Joy, peace, satisfaction, fulfillment, purpose. The only place that you're going to find that is in Jesus. It's the only place. Listen, you may be struggling in your life right now. You may be at a place in your life where you feel hopeless, you feel like you've blown it, you don't know what you have done, grab onto God's mission and God will lead you. Grab onto his mission. That's why it's so important. Man, if you feel like, hey, maybe you're here for the first time, you've been here for two, three weeks and you're on the fence and you're saying, man, I wanna make this church my home, dive in wholeheartedly. 
become a part of the life of this church. Go to Next Step, get involved in a life group, serve on a dream team, start giving. Why do we do all those things? Because here's the truth. The reason for the past two weeks before this, I preached this message, they all led up to this. The first week we talked about, man, we're in the wilderness and then God finally brings us to the promised land and we see where he wants to take us. And all of a sudden, before he says, before you can take the promised land, you gotta defeat Jericho. And the way that you're gonna defeat it is not by swords. The way that you're gonna defeat it is not by fighting in your own strength. The way that you're gonna defeat it is by trusting me and you're gonna walk around a wall for seven days. (laughs) So you're gonna trust in the Lord. What does trust lead to? It leads to a fruitful, faithful relationship with Jesus. And that's what we talked about last week. So you start trusting that God is good and he is who he says he is. Then what does it lead to? It leads to you actively becoming a part of this church. We asked you to do four things last week. Man, if you don't know Jesus, surrender and give your life to him. If you're not serving on a team here, get involved in one. If you're not giving to this place, start doing it. Start trusting God. If you're not involved in a life group, get in one. Why do we do all those things? Why do we want you to actively be a part of this church? Because if you're actively a part of this church, then what do we do? Now we get to live on mission. Now we get to be people of God that begin to transform and change this city. And so you can't do that unless you're living life with other people. So that's why life groups and serving on a dream team is so important. You also can't do that unless you learn a life of generosity. That's why giving is so important. You'll never be generous with your time, your talent, your treasure if you can't do it on a weekly basis here first. I I find this hilarious. Um, You have parents all the time that even now, they'll send their kids to this church, but they don't come to church themselves. Say, man, you just go to church and hopefully God will grab a hold of you. The truth is you as a parent, you've got to lead first. (laughs) I'm going to lead the way and then your kids will follow. And the truth is this city's looking to us. We've got to lead the way first. We've got to start giving. We've got to start being generous. We've got to start serving. And once we do that, guess what? Everybody else steps up their game and they start actively being a part of this reaching people, building lives. And it just becomes this endless cycle that goes on and on and on. The thing that I love is if we do this, watch what Jesus says. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority, all authority And heaven and on earth has been given to you. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. And behold, I love this, I am with you always to the end of the age. So if we do everything that I've just talked about for the past 35 minutes, it promises all authority is given to you and that Jesus will be with you forever. To the end of the age, until death takes us out of the game. And Jesus promises to be with us. And when you served this week, there wasn't a question of like, man, I don't know if God's going to show up. People were just confident. God's going to show up. <laughs> He's here. There was never a question about that. I never saw a volunteer that's like, I don't know where God is. He's not going to show up today. I don't know what we're going to do. And people just serve, and they knew, like, God is with us. What we're doing, God is for us. He is with us. So to so bring this to a close, let me just close with saying this. Wherever you're at, whoever you are, whatever you've walked through, we're not a perfect church. We never will be. You stay here long enough, I'm sure at some point we will offend you. It's just the truth. Here's what I want to challenge you, though. 
Don't be somebody that jumps ship every single time God's about to do something in your heart. You know why you have church hoppers so many times is they leave as soon as they start getting convicted and they go to another place. You start jumping ship because all of a sudden God starts doing something in your life and you go, mm, I don't like that. You stick around just a little bit longer, you'll be the person that God really wants you to be. But also the good news is this. If you're not who you want to be right now, I am absolutely convinced that God is not more pleased with some future version of you. He loves the you right now. He's for the you right now. But he also loves you so much that he's not willing to let you stay there. So it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. It's not okay to continue to wallow and sit in where you're at. Because the truth is, God has more for you. And as a church, this will be a place where we're just going to say, you know what, just, just jump off the bridge. And I know the fall might hurt, and you're going to scrape yourself on the way down. And it's going to be scary, and you're going to have to do things that you're not comfortable with. But at the end of the day, the end result is worth it. It's worth it. At the end of the day, it's worth it. Every single time that you jump on board with God's mission, it's worth it. There's never any regrets. 